This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. Some of you already vaccinated, many of you waiting. Some others don't want anything to do with it. New AP poll finds only two-thirds of Americans plan to get the COVID vaccine. That could throw a wrench into achieving herd immunity. But even if there is herd immunity, might not last. Variants, mutations can pop up that could beat the vaccines. That's why Johnson & Johnson's CEO says COVID shots might become a yearly thing. So we will talk about that. One mask might be better than two if you wear it properly. Working from home might be permanent even after the pandemic. And are concerts worth it for fans and the musicians if only 10% of the usual crowd can be there? We will try and find out. But we start with Dr. Mark McClellan, former FDA commissioner and administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in the Bush administration, also serves as the director on the Johnson Johnson board. Chris Seedens and I talked to him about how the recent variants are complicating the vaccine process. Well, they are complicating the, or at least raising questions about the effectiveness of vaccines for the long term. But I do want to emphasize that right now, uh, all the evidence we have is that the vaccines available provide some really important protection. You know, maybe not perfect, but very good against serious consequences, not only for the forms of COVID that are present in our country now, but also against many of the variants that are emerging so far. So really the most important thing for right now is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. That prevents these variants from spreading, even prevents more variants from forming. So that's most important in the short term, but we do need to plan ahead uh, to stay ahead of the virus. It is kind of a race against time, right? And, And right now we are trying as we might, but it is a slow process and we know uh, there's much to be desired, but you have to give the virus, you got to cut it off at, at the pass, right? And that's the more vaccines yeah. you give, the, the fewer places there are to go. And and today, I mean, the governor said we've got the first two cases of the South Africa variant in California. I guess it was a matter of time until we were going to see that. It was a matter of time. And it's also just a reminder of how important the steps that we know work are to continue. People are really tired of this. You know, I know I am and everyone I talk to, um, but the the masks and the distancing and those steps are um, you know, even more important now. And also in terms of, you know, some good news looking ahead, I think the vaccine supply is going to keep increasing. And you mentioned Johnson & Johnson having a vaccine that the FDA is, is evaluating right now. They're going to have a, a public review with expert um, independent evaluation evaluation coming up in in just a couple of weeks or so, February 26. Um, the, vi- the vaccines that have already been authorized for use in the United States are increasing in supply. So we're up to 11 million doses this week. I know that's still a long way to go, but those numbers are going to increase by March. So it's going to get easier. We're going to get better at making vaccines available. And I think everybody should be thinking ahead to make sure they know what they need to know to make an informed decision about getting vaccinated because we are not going to be through this until we get uh, a lot more people um, willing to get shots and, and you know, doing what it takes to put this behind us. We should note you're, you're an independent director on the Johnson & Johnson board. Uh, when right. it comes to the different vaccines that will be available and, and, you know, they can start shipping out, hopefully, um, soon after they get the approval. But is this a matter of just get whatever shot you can get at the time, whatever's being offered to you? Or do you expect people shopping around if they see these percentages and they think, well, this is going to protect me better than something else will? 
Yeah, I expect people will start asking those questions. I think it's very important for us to the federal government, the FDA, the the um, CDC, the the expert uh, agencies to provide accurate information to help answer those questions. There are going to be questions like um, which ones give me the the most protection. I think a very important question is. Is this vaccine going to prevent me and from people around me from getting um, uh, uh, COVID? Uh, is it going to help prevent me from getting any serious complications like hospitalization, where all these vaccines seem to work pretty well? And we need to keep looking closely, as you said, as the the, the variants emerge. Uh, there are also questions like, do I want to go back for two shots? Um, is it easy for me to get vaccinated um, out in maybe a more rural area, someplace that's more convenient? So those are all good questions. Questions and the p questions that people should be thinking about now and in the next few weeks as the vaccines become more widely available. There's some questions about that in terms of the COVID vaccine. Is this a yearly thing like the flu shot forever and ever, do you expect? Or is it yearly for a few years until maybe we can get ahead of these variants and these mutations? You know, we just don't know yet. Um, there's still a chance that the vaccines we get now will last for quite a while. Again, like I said earlier, all of the vaccines available are way better than nothing uh, and uh, do provide some really important protection against the variants that are emerging. So this is still new. We've only had uh, the virus with us for a year or so. We're just starting to see these new variants emerge uh, now. What's going to happen is uh, some more tests of the variants against people who have had vaccinations to see how well uh, their immunity holds up. Probably some more tests in the field as um, the, vac the new vaccines become more widely available. I think the good news is what we saw over the past year is it is possible to manufacture these vaccines very quickly while still doing it safely with uh, good confidence that the vaccines really are going to work. And we have the capacity to adjust the vaccines in the coming months if we need it. But you know, we do need to be ready for, for getting a, a booster shot maybe late this year, heading into winter, maybe again next year. Just not for sure yet since uh, this is we're still very early on in, in dealing with this. And the most important thing uh, in the meantime is is get vaccinated with one of the, op the options that are going to be available, I think, very widely over the next within the next few months. Well, many people getting the vaccinations, but of course, there are many people as well who are leery about the vaccines. Yeah. Uh, if people need a shot every year, like the flu shot, uh, do you think most people will jump on board with this? I guess I'm wondering, are you concerned that not enough people will want to do so? Well, for flu shots, we only get to, in a good year, maybe about 50 percent. Right. And, and you know, Chris and Mike, given how much we know about how easy it is to transmit this virus, that's probably not going to be enough. Um, we do have, unfortunately, a lot of people in the U.S., including there in Southern California, who have already been infected and ha infected and have some immunity, at least for a while. But we're going to get need to get to numbers above 50 percent to get back to normal, to being able to, to live without... Um, um, having to wear masks everywhere, getting back to doing a lot of our usual activities. So this is something we're all going to have to to work on together. We are definitely not there yet. So how do we how do we fix the hesitancy, or, or how do you start to work on it? Because we've got the new poll from from AP today saying it's almost one in three are just not interested in getting vaccinated against COVID. So do you eventually get to herd immunity if you have this much reluctance? 
I, I think we need to keep working on the reluctance. Some of those numbers have started to change over the last few months. Last last year, there were a lot of people nervous that the process had been had been rushed, it, and now they're hearing more about the fact that the evidence is really strong. The vaccines work. They're seeing uh, evidence from now millions of people that there aren't any uh, serious or common uh, side effects uh, emerging, and there are a lot of tools and efforts that can be used to reach more people. I work with a group called the COVID Collaborative that's working with the Ad Council to help find out um, what people in all these different communities really want to know about the vaccine so they can make a confident decision and and hopefully get back to the things that matter to them, you know, uh, living their lives and, and protecting their loved ones. This is hard work over the next few months, and I hope all of your listeners are, are going to take a bit of time to find out more from their doctor, from people that they trust, uh, as we get more uh, and better information out about the vaccines. Dr. McClellan, we mentioned a moment ago that uh, you're in fact uh, serving as an independent director on the Johnson & Johnson board. How soon till you think we're going to start getting some uh, J&J uh, injections to help fight this? Well, the, the big dates there are February 26th. That's when the FDA is going to discuss what they've concluded about all of the data from these very large studies, you know, 45,000 people uh, showing no uh, hospitalizations or and 85% protection against, you know, serious um, uh, even at-home uh, uh, symptoms with, um, uh, with the COVID infections. A uh, lot of detailed questions about that. Uh, after the FDA reviews and gets its advice from its independent experts, uh, there may be some government action pretty quickly. So the vaccine potentially could be available starting in June and, you know, more widely available by, uh, sorry, starting in March, uh, starting in March and more widely available by late March uh, into April and on into the summer. J&J is expecting to have 100 million doses available. And remember, this is a one-shot vaccine. So 100 million people who could potentially get vaccinated by June. That's good. We like March rather than the yeah, until June. March or June. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mark McClellan, former director of the FDA and Medicare and Medicaid doctor. Thanks for coming on. CDC out with new guidance about mask wearing. Not so much the type you use or wearing two of them, although it's some of that. It also emphasizes, though, the importance of your mask fitting, like nice and tight. Chris and I talked to Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease specialist, UC San Francisco. We haven't in this country in particular had any statements about what masks are best. We were just told to wear them and it could have been anything. And um, and and then the, all these physical scientists were putting out all this data about like gaiters and bandanas, but still we were waiting for the CDC to tell us, okay, but what mask to wear? So this study that was just uh, came out today uh, is a research study from the CDC that essentially says there are four good options right now, not because uh, for any other reason, but because we're in an area of high transmission. We have these variants. We want to get to the vaccines. So right now they're recommending one of four options. One is surgical paired with cloth. So that is truly called, quote, the double mask. But it has to be that particular doubling. It's not like two cloths, two surgicals. It's that because it's a surgical plus cloth because it, it improves fit, but also it has two different ways of filtering out virus. Second is putting pantyhose up above your cloth mask that you're wearing on your face. I find that too weird, so I'm not going to like really <laughs> say that again. I'm just going to say that once. We'll just move then on from the, that. Yeah. <laughs> then the third um, is actually something they didn't study in their article, but they recommended um, because we had done some research. I had done some research with the physical scientist, and we put it out, which is a cloth 
two pieces of cloth with a filter stuck in between because the filter blocks virus in the same way as a surgical mask does. It blocks it electrostatically, and then the cloth blocks it just by blocking it um, physically. And then the fourth is taking a surgical mask, knotting it twice, so you tie a knot in the ear loops, and then you tuck in the sides, and they call that knot and tuck. So it sounds like a lot, but in a way, it's a good thing that they gave us four options because we have not had a lot of data on about like what to wear. Yeah, so... Two and four are kind of related, and so we'll have to bring up the pantyhose for this this portion, again, because it's the same with the nodding and the tucking in, right? Because this brings us to the issue of how it fits, and you don't want right. gaps. You want to feel a little bit of a, a seal, right? Exactly. So it's really along the lines of two things, fit and filtration. And what you just said is two and four improve the fit. So either the pantyhose making it tighter um, or the or the uh, tucking on the sides and knotting the loops. That's around fit. And then those one and three options, which is the double or the uh, cloth with the uh, filter in the middle, those improve fit and filtration. And there's some YouTube videos going around, I think, of, of some nurses out there that are, that are showing you how you can knot the surgical mask. And when they put it on, the, the little puffs on the side where maybe that's where your air is coming out, which is what we don't want, uh, those are reduced and it fits your face a whole lot better. Exactly right. That is the that is the Achilles heel of that surgical mask is those puffs, um, those parts that don't sit next to your cheeks. So that's exactly right. Knot and tuck. You know, I heard something last week. Dr. Sanjay Gupta on CNN made the point that that President Biden could perhaps should use the Defense Production Act and have a company like 3M mass produce N95 masks, get get them out to everybody in the country, uh, numerous to, to many people in the country. Uh, yes, some people won't wear them, period. But if most of the people did, you know, maybe exchange the, the flimsy mask you might be wearing for an N95, that could go a long way to stopping this. Do you agree? You know, um, I agree with the sentiment of that because N95s are great. They're like totally fit and filtration perfect. Um, I'm not actually as eager about that for the fall because they're uncomfortable. And these other mask options that we just discussed are just as good as a nine N95 and they're not uncomfortable. You don't need the defense production act and you also need to be fitted for an N95. So that's why neither the CDC nor our research has pushed N95s. It's it, but it's conceptually the right idea. How do you feel about the the KN95s that you can get online? That you know they're white or they're black, and they kind of look like you got a little beak on you because they point out. They actually work really well, and they're just like an N95. So that would be one of those fifth one. You just want to make sure it's from a reputable company. Um, but absolutely, those are great masks. And how do we? I guess the million dollar question is how do we get more how do we get more people wearing them because there are so many people who are just dead set against putting on a mask they they feel that their rights are being taken away and 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 it's not taking away anybody's rights it's just trying to protect you and your loved ones this is true and uh we have had a more complicated relationship with masking than any country i've observed uh that i can even see out there but i would say this that the best way I could say it is it's just temporary. It's just temporary. We're going to do this so we get to herd immunity. Vaccines are here. They're amazing. We're going to get through this. And so if you think in your mind, boy, I just have to do this till September or whenever we're going to get to herd immunity, I think it's going to be then. Then you can say, okay, I can do anything for a short period of time. The end is inside of this. 
Finally, a uh, practical matter for the various options when we talk about needing to double up or wanting to double up. Is this for all the time? Is this for inside at work with other people? Is this for going to the grocery store when it's going to be a while? Or am I fine just with the simple cloth or the surgical if I just need to run to the gas station and, you know, give 20 bucks or buy a soda or something? When do I wear the extra protection? Perfect. Excellent question. Because this is not for outside. So we have this study coming out, but it's like called these three points of a triangle, mask, distancing, ventilation. Um, and so if you have good ventilation, like you're outside, you don't need a double mask. It is when you're inside, crowded, working around other people, just like you said, grocery store, it's going to be a while, but not for outside, not for simple things. All right. Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician, University of California, San Francisco Health Doctor. Thanks for coming on again. Salesforce, you know Salesforce, most of the workers, they can work from home from here on out, at least part of the time, even after the pandemic. That's what the tech company is saying. Telecommuting might be here to stay. It's good for people who don't like the traffic, but what if you don't like working from home? Kate Lister, president of the Global Workplace Analytics. Chris and I asked if this would open up flexibility for some, create some more challenges for others. There are some challenges, but I think what we've proven over this last year is that we overestimated the challenges and that people have been much more successful at this. Organizations have been much more successful at this than they thought they would be. So do you think this is a big signal for a whole bunch of other companies that are going to let people start to work from home? Or is it that not every company is a Silicon Valley kind of sales force? company. Not everybody can get rid of the nine to five, which was the other part of their press release that went out saying, you know, the nine to five day, we're going to let people kind of pick their own schedules. That doesn't really work everywhere. It's interesting. That is the trend. People, people want to have a life and earn a living. And so rather than sitting in a marathon of nine to five, they want to work in sprints. And, and that's the way people work better. It's not just Silicon Valley. Every one of my clients is having the same conversation, and that's law firms, insurance companies, banks, and some technology companies. They're, they're all just, they've been successful, and they're looking at it and saying, geez, I think we need to do things differently. And that's going to completely reshape what the office is, why, you, why we go to offices. Okay, from a, from a worker's perspective, who will this help? Who will this hurt? Well, certainly it'll help office workers. Uh, it's been particularly hard on younger office workers, um, which was kind of a surprise at the beginning, but we've, we've tracked it back to the fact that they don't have a dedicated space at home. And so it makes it more difficult for them. They don't have as much confidence in the job. They need that mentoring that they get on site in the elevators and in the hallways and so forth. It's definitely hurt mothers more than most because they've got the additional, um, rigor of, of homeschooling. What we've experienced for the last year is not normal remote work. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, this is you know remote work done overnight and without all of the rigor that we would have put into rolling the program out in a um, organized fashion, which typically would take six months to a year. I was going to say, for people who don't enjoy the working from home, maybe it could get a little bit better if the, you know, the kids are back at school and, and we're more settled down. But there are people who are still going to want to go into the office. You think they're still going to have a space in, in many cases? I mean, what does this do to commercial real estate and companies that think, OK, I don't need to lease this space anymore. I can save a whole bunch of money by sending everybody home. Well, actually, a lot of uh, most employees actually want to go back to the office at least some of the time. They just don't want to be there all of the time. 
something in the six to send six to ten percent do want to go back and want to go back full time. Something like twenty percent want to be out of the office full time, and then the rest want kind of a sweet spot of two and a half days a week. And and this has just been shown in survey after survey. So there will be there will be offices. They're not going to go away. They will continue to have spaces for people that are working there full time and need privacy and all kinds of accommodations. But what we're seeing is that the space is going to change. It's going to become more collaborative. If we're going to the office because we're missing the social connections and we're missing the on-site collaboration and we're missing our colleagues, then it doesn't make sense to, to put them in isolated cubicles. It makes sense to create an environment where they actually can socialize and collaborate and do their best work. Well, Kate, I take it from what you're saying that in many cases, companies might look at trying to institute some kind of a hybrid system. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to be the dominant system and has been you know, ever since Jack Nellis invented the term back in 19, the term telework back in 1973. Uh, it's always been a mix. People like to be polar about this. Either, you know, you're never going to see your employees again or everybody's going to be in the office. It's just not the way it has been. And it's just not the way people want to operate, at least not the majority of people. Kate Lister, president of Global Workplace Analytics. Kate, thanks. Short break. And then is a concert worth it if the venue is mostly empty. New York going to allow indoor concert venues, sports arenas to open back up later this month. Capacity limited 10%. So is it worth it to go see your favorite band if the venue is mostly empty? Is it worth it for the band to play? Chris and I talked with Chris Willman, music features editor at Variety, about whether this is a good idea. Uh, My take is that um, they're really jumping the gun with this. And, uh, you know, people who work in the concert industry are desperate to have shows, get their livelihood back, but this doesn't seem like the way to do it. Um, if they pull it off, it's going to be so few shows that I don't think it's really going to make a difference in the concert industry because, you know, for one thing, New York doing it unilaterally doesn't mean that people can go tour other parts of the country. So, you know, you can't plan a tour around what just New York is doing. And then how many acts who can play to uh, arenas and stadiums are going to want to play to 10% crowds, you know, it's not real gratifying to go out there and hear one-tenth of the noise from a crowd that you're used <laughs> to hearing. And who knows what the ticket prices will be like if they pull that off, because if they want to get anything like their usual margins, does that mean they have to charge 10 times the price of the ticket, or are they going to take a loss on this and make it more of a symbolic gesture that, yes, we're back in business? So I, I think as much as people want to get uh, show business back in motion, this seems like it may not have been really thought out with the business itself. Yeah, I was going to say to that last point, I mean, how do you even make money on it unless you charge outrageous amounts or you just don't make any money at all? Because you think how much they have to put in to go and try and put this on. And then the venue wants to make money on on parking and concessions and all that stuff. But if there's not a lot of people, then what are you going to do? Because no one's going to buy as much as you're accustomed to them buying. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can do merch packages and things like that. Certainly there are parts of the country, not California, where concerts are happening to some degree in small theaters, you know, like the Ryman Osraven in Nashville has a a situation set up where they have like maybe 20% capacity and they make part of their money back sometimes by by doing a live stream and making people around the country pay for that. So they're not just dependent on the in-house crowd. And then they'll sell like a a t-shirt bundle and things like that, posters to try to run up the price. Uh, But you can't. You can't charge 10 times the price of a ticket unless 
um, you know, you've got a really premium act that people feel it's it's that special to go see. And, and in an arena or stadium setting, no way. Chris, I'm wondering if this could put some people uh, associated with the bands in kind of a, a risky situation. Uh, you know, roadies, background singers, band members who back up the bands. If they say that, you know, okay, the band has agreed to go ahead with the show, but maybe they don't want to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of people to bring on board at uh, 100%. And, you know, I, I was just on, you know, there's this new uh, app, Chat House or whatever it's called, where people in the industry kind of get on a talk. And I was on the other night with some folks in Nashville who are part of the country music industry. And this, this young woman I know a little bit was talking about, uh, it was almost kind of matter-of-factly, like, yeah, I caught COVID, you know, at this festival in Texas. And, you know, and she was talking to her doctor, and he, and he said, where, did, where do you think you might have got it? She said, oh, it was at a music festival. I, I had to work. And so he was saying, so I, I'm guessing no contact tracing then. And she laughed and <laughs> said no. But the fact is she's in her 20s, so she can be a little bit cavalier about it, like almost casually, yeah, I, I caught COVID at work. Um, the, the concert business is not based entirely on people in their 20s who can take it that lightly. Um, so, you know, you, you get the roadies in their 40s and 50s. Um, they're not going to want to go out and, and and do this unless, you know, they're just into the risk. Of, well, and the, and the crowd, too, depending on, you know, the artist, you don't want to have to fight your own anxiety to go to a concert and worry that the guy next to you when he's singing or dancing is, is breathing COVID all over you. Yeah. And, and the fact of the matter is the acts that can play arenas and stadiums, because that's who they're talking about in New York right now, um, is, is doing it at that level. Um, those are the acts that tend to draw an older audience. You know, the big touring acts are not the young hit makers who just had their first hit out. They're these veteran acts who have fans in their 40s and 50s and above. So, you know, the Dave Matthews Band is not going to want to go out there, or their their fans who are middle-aged are, are going to be a lot warier and not, you know, so much some kid who's 20 who thinks, yeah, whatever. So. Chris Willman, Music Features Editor at Variety. Chris, thanks. South Africa trying a different vaccine to see if it works against the variants there. It'll give Johnson & Johnson vaccines to the frontline healthcare workers beginning next week as a study to see what protection it provides. The country decided to stop using AstraZeneca because it didn't prevent mild to moderate disease when it came to the variant. The one-shot J&J vaccine still being tested internationally. It has not yet been approved in any country. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stay well. Stay well.